Well, welcome back. We had a, a break from Sunday school for family camp. So we're still back in the beginning of the Bible in Genesis. Um, we'll talk a little bit more about creation and who we are. And so what, what does it mean to be a human being? Who can, who can give me a definition or a, a description of what it means to be a human being? Oh, very good. So Carolyn says, created in the image of God. See, she cut right off on all the other stuff. I was expecting some different discussion. Those are all true, but that, that really is the, the different, the, the very different thing about us. Because um, all, all creatures are created, right? God created everything, and we, we studied a little bit of creation. God created everything, including us, but, but we're different, right? And that's because... We're made in the image of God, and that's what we're going to talk today about, is that we're made in the image of God, and really what our purpose is as created beings, what God created us for. Very good. And so she said the best part is that God's breath is in us. And if you read through creation, we're the, you know, man, humans are the only one, because God created lots of things, right? And we'll read a little bit about God creating the animals out of the dust. We're created out of the dust as well, right? And we'll, we'll read that part of scripture. But God breathed life into us. And we're created in his image. And that makes us different, right? And, and if you think about things that are different, you know, we, we have different expectations and, and responsibilities because of that. Because we're made in God's image and, and because of what God designed us to do. So we're going to start off, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 1, and I'm going to read verses 26 to 28. So this is Genesis 1, 26 to 28. Then God said, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And so this, this is the first part in the Bible where God talks about who we are as his creation and what it is that he wants us to be. In that verse 26, it's, it's a great verse because... It helps us understand, you know, when we say we're created in God's image, it says that, you know, let us make man in our image, right? So that, that's a confirmation that there is God, but it's the triune God, right? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So when it, when it says we're, you know, let us create man in our image, what, what does that mean to you? What does that tell you about not only are we created in God's image, but what, is it, what do you think that means? Yes, and it, it makes that very clear, right? Just from the pronouns, it, it's, it makes it clear that there is the Trinity involved. But we're created not just in God the Father's image, right? We're created in the Trinity's image because they made us like them. And so I think that's something we need to keep in mind is that we... You know, just like we think of God the Father and God the Son, Jesus Christ, who came to earth and was fully man and fully human, 
and died on the cross to save us. And then we have the Holy Spirit, right? And, and as believers, we do have the Holy Spirit indwelt in us, but we have all, all those things that we think of when we think of the triune God, we're created in all those images. And if, if you look at the, the, the Hebrew word where it says image, what it's really talking about is, is something that's a figure or a replica, like a model. So a lot of times when we think of image, when someone says image to me, I think of a picture, right? So what, it, what is a picture? two-dimensional representation, right? It's flat. When really we're, you know, we're created in God's image in all the ways that he is, okay? So we're not God, but we are created in his image. He wanted us to be that way because he wanted us to be special, okay? And so he created us, and then, and then in the next lines there, what does it tell us? What, what are we supposed to do? He gave us dominion, right? And so he gave us that responsibility. You know, it says, let them rule over the fish of the sea over the, and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth, right? And everything that creeps on the earth. So right there, not only are we created in God's image, we're the only created thing that was created in God's image, but God gave us special responsibility, right? How many, you know, how many people here supervise people at work right how many of you have been in charge of a special project you know how many moms do we have we have lots of moms in here right so so what does it mean when you're in charge you you are responsible right you're you're given authority right so when when we say we have dominion over the earth do we own the earth no the earth isn't ours but god created it and gave us the responsibility to use it Right now, we have to use that in a responsible manner. So we've been given authority to subdue the earth, right? And we're supposed to do that in a good and a right way, right? And just like many things you can do, you can do it in a way that's abusive, that isn't respectful of that asset or whatever that this thing that you have is, or you can do it in a way that that really is respectful, right? And and is used in a good way. And so we do have that responsibility. None of the other creatures of the earth have that responsibility, right? They're all made to do their certain thing, you know, snakes and birds and fish and cows, and everybody has their own little thing to do, but we're the ones who are supposed to be in charge of that, and so we have that responsibility from God. And, and what other thing did he want us to do? If you look down, it's in verse 28. Be fruitful and multiply, right? God wants us to not just, you know, to, to be in charge. We have dominion, but he wants us to be fruitful and multiply. So if you think about it, when, when the Bible describes the fruits of the Spirit, right? Because this is really part of what he's thinking about. People think of fruitful and multiply. It's like, well, we should just have lots of kids so that, you know, we populate the earth. That is part of God's design. God did want us to multiply but when it's fruitful, if you think about it from a biblical perspective, then what things are we supposed to be doing? Bearing good fruit, right? And there are different scriptures in the Bible that talks about, you know, you don't get, um, you don't get pears from an apple tree, you don't get grapes from a thorn bush, right? The, the thing that grows, it might be beautiful, but, you know, think about a crab apple tree. You know, think of a crab apple tree when it flowers in the spring, right? They are beautiful. They have all those blossoms and look stuff. Does anybody here like crab apples? Some people do. 
you know. But that's right, because God made us. And even though we're all created in God's image, we all, all are a little bit different, right? But you think about that, you can look at something that maybe looks very beautiful, but the fruit it puts off is really not useful at all. And so we're supposed to, you know, as, as we're fruitful in what we do, we're supposed to do things that are useful in God's eyes, right? So we're supposed to bear good fruit. We're supposed to do things that, that honor and glorify God. Something else in there that it, that it says is, how, how did he create man? It's in verse 27. It's a big topic today in our society. He create, And God created them, male and female, he created them, right? So, so God created you specifically to be male or female because he wants you to do that job right he has there's certain roles and responsibilities that he wants us to do and and we don't get to pick that right i mean that's one of those basic tenets of the bible i mean you know god does god make mistakes no do bad things happen? Yes, but a lot of that, it, it's all based on sin and poor choices that people make. And even though maybe you haven't made a poor choice, someone somewhere along the line made a poor choice, and you're suffering the consequences of that. I mean, think about a car accident. You can be doing exactly what you're supposed to be. You're in your lane. You're stopped at the stoplight, and the person behind you is texting and not paying attention, and they run into you. Well, you didn't do anything wrong, but you're certainly suffering the consequences of someone else's bad decision, Right? And, and that's really, you know, when we look at sin in the earth, because we talked about it when God created it, and God created man and woman to be with him, right? To walk in the garden, and they did that. We talked about that two weeks ago, where they, God was present in the garden. He would come down and visit with them. And not just, not just a small representation that, you know, later in the Bible, because of sin and, and, and man is guilty and can't be in God's presence, no longer, you know, after the Garden of Eden, does God's full presence ever come down to the earth, right? There are different instances where people see part of the glory of God, but you never get to see all of it because we would perish, right? God is, God is light and God is good and nothing evil can be in his presence. So we wouldn't be able to be there. So, so in, in keeping in mind with that, just part of thinking through this is that God has created us in a certain way to do certain things. And so we're going to turn to Genesis chapter 2, and I'm going to read verses 18 to 23. So Genesis 2, 18 to 23. This is, this is the second part of this description of how man was created in the Bible. Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. Out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called the living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the cattle and to the birds of the sky and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper suitable for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. And then he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. The Lord God fashioned into the Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. The man said, "This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She but she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man." So there there's you know some interesting things in here when we start looking at that. Because if you go back and read the creation story after God 
created all the things he created, what did, what did he say? There's a, there's a certain thing that he said that it was. It was, it was good, right? But right here it tells us, you know, it's not good for the man to be alone. Right? So God is pointing out to us, what do you, what do you think God's trying to point out here? We're made for fellowship. And not just, and not everyone's made for marriage. You know, marriage is definitely called for in the Bible, but not everyone is made for marriage, right? But we are all made to be relational beings. God created us in that way. God is the only one who, who being self-existent, is, is, is perfect and does everything he needs to do just as God. The rest of us as people, in some form or fashion, if we're to flourish and be godly and be able to do, you know, to be our full, to reach our full potential, we're relational beings. We need to be around people. We need to have that interaction. Many of us get that through marriage. Right? You, you find a mate, and through that interaction and growth, your marriage grows, and that glorifies God. Um, but you know, what I didn't want to think is that, well, you have to be married or you're not honoring God, and that's certainly not the truth. But you need to be in fellowship with Christians, especially as believers. If you're not in fellowship with Christians, it's very difficult for you to reach your full potential as, as a child of God. And, and that right in here explains this, right? And so... You know, God has created Adam here, and he's created the garden, and Adam's in the garden. But everything's not right. And that's why here God is saying it's not good, is that Adam needs a helper. When you think of a helper, what, what do you think that definition of helper is? To come alongside. And that's, that's one of the best definitions I've ever heard, is that it's, it's a help me to someone who comes alongside. Okay, It's not somebody who's going to do all the things you hate to do, or to, you know, to be subservient and those kind of things. It's really someone to be there for you to help you do the things that you need to do. He does. And, and the, the Holy, one of the names of the Holy Spirit is the helper. And if you look through, um, there are some psalms so that if, if you look at the actual, the, the Hebrew word that's used for helper here is used in some of the psalms where it's, it's describing you know, sometimes it's, it's describing God, but it's, it's describing someone who's giving support um, and aid and even protection. And that's really what that relationship is meant to be, I think, is that, you know, when, when Adam needs a helper, he needs someone who's going to come alongside, share responsibility, help him do the things that he needs to do. And it's, it's that special relationship that gets formed, right? And Adam recognizes that because he says, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And if you continue to read that, it says, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And hopefully what's happening there, Daryl, is the Holy Spirit through your wife is helping you hear what you'll hear from your wife. And, and, but that's, you know, it's, it's that thing, right? And I, I know in my relationship with my wife, there's a lot of things that I, you know, my wife points out to me some things that I don't think are necessarily so bad or maybe I'm not doing something that's so wrong, but she helps me see it from another perspective, right? Many times, I mean, I, I think for the most part, we don't go out to, to do things that are wrong or to, to hurt people or to, or to make them angry. We think, you know, we're doing the right thing, 
but we don't see everyone's perspective, right? And if you have a good helpmate, right, and that can be your spouse, that can be a, your fishing buddy, it can be, you know, a friend that you work with, or somebody points out to you that, hey, you know, when you said that, this was how I took that, or maybe they're thinking this, or did you know that this person has had this experience in their life, and so when you do these things, right, and that's all, all in the end, and Daryl brings up a very good point, it really is the prompting of the Holy Spirit. You know, when you're when you're thinking about something and God's laying something on your heart, as a Christian and a believer, you're indwelt with the Holy Spirit. You have God inside you. You have part of the triune God that's inside you that you carry with you everywhere you go. So when you start to have those feelings like, I should really, you know, I've been, I've been working with this person for 10 years and they're finally talking about maybe going to church and they have these questions. You know, this is the Holy Spirit prompting you and giving you encouragement to talk to that person about that. Or if you see someone who's doing something that you know could be very damaging for them and they maybe not see it that way, is maybe you need to go talk to them and say, you know, I've noticed you've started doing this or you're hanging out with this crowd or, you know, I'm watching you do this and I think that might not be the best thing for you. And a really good thing to do that with is if, if the Holy Spirit's prompting you is to pray about that and read your Bible because if they're a Christian... You should be able to approach them, right? And then it's not saying, you know, I'm not going to go to somebody. I'm not going to go to Craig and say, Craig, I think you're doing it wrong. I'm going to go to Craig and say, you know, Craig, this is what I'm seeing, and this is what the Bible says about it. And I think you need to think through that because I think, I think you may be doing something that's not biblical, right? Because that takes the personal part out of it. It's not a personal judgment. It's not, I think you're wrong. It's that I read the Bible, and the Bible means this to me when I, when I read this part. I think it looks like you're doing something that you shouldn't be doing. And then hopefully as a Christian, and they're indwelt with the Holy Spirit, they'll feel convicted in that way, and, and maybe they can work through that. And maybe there are other things going on in their life, and you start that conversation, and you get a better understanding of what they're going through and what they're trying to do. Um, but that's just one of the, you know, when we look at that, where, you know, the Bible's talking about us being created male and female. God did that on purpose. God has a purpose for everything. And, and with that and through that and through the marriage relationship, you know, there are responsibilities. Um, and as we go through the gospel project, I know we're going to get there and talk about that where it talks about marriage and what that means, you know, for marriage for us here on earth and that marriage is one way that God helps us understand our relationship with Jesus Christ, where he's the bridegroom and the church is the bride. So as, as we look through this and we understand that we're, we're created and God gave us special responsibilities, what do you think our purpose is as, as people? To glorify God. That is the chief purpose of mankind is to glorify God. That's really why we're here, and that's the next thing that we're going to talk about is that... Um, God is the one who deserves glory. He's the only one who deserves worship and honor and glory. And one of the ways we could do that is through worshiping him. So we're going to turn to Psalm 96. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Proclaim good tidings of his salvation from day to day. Tell of his glory among the nations, his wonderful deeds among all the peoples. For great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods, for all gods of the peoples are idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. 
Ascribe to the Lord the glory of his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in holy attire. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Indeed, the world is firmly established. It will not be moved. So how, how many of you like to read the Psalms? I, I, I like to read them, and, and depending on why I'm reading the Psalms, there are Psalms you can pick out that help bring, it brings me comfort, brings me encouragement, helps to show me the things that I need to do. You know, Psalms, um, if you've ever heard somebody talk about the Psalter is another name for the book of Psalms. Um, it's really kind of, it's, they're meant to be sung, many of them. Um, that's how David wrote a lot of these. Many of the psalmists wrote them to be sung. And, and sometimes it's said that the psalms are the hymn book of God's people. Um, and, and this is a hymn that's called, this is an enthronement song. And so it's really talking about honoring and, and praising, praising God. Um, I've got a, a study Bible that, that actually lists out all the different kinds of psalms. Different Bibles will describe these in, in different ways in the, in the, um, in the lesson. They, they divided it a little bit differently. But there are some psalms that are um, individual and communal laments that express our need for God's deliverance. Um, there are psalms for thanksgiving that make us aware of God's blessing and, and help us to express our thanks to him. Um, there are enthronement, enthronement psalms like we just read that describe God's sovereign rule. Pilgrimage psalms that establish a mood of worship. Royal psalms that portray Christ, the sovereign ruler. Um, psalms for wisdom that instruct us as to God's will. And then there are imprecatory psalms that invoke God's wrath and judgment against enemies. So if you look up the word, I had to look up imprecatory. I, I did not know what that was. It's, it's, it's cursing someone or calling down judgment on someone. And uh, I did some looking into that because it's, it's interesting because we're, we're not supposed to seek out um, retribution, right? We're not supposed to, to, to avenge ourselves. The vengeance is God's, right? So when we're wronged, what we want to do is rely on God to make that right, right? So it's really not incumbent upon us... <clears throat> as Christians, to go and seek that vengeance, to, to seek that punishment out, because God, God seeks that punishment. God takes care of that in the end, and God will watch over us. But if you read through these, these imprecatory psalms, several of them are from David. And, and really, when you, when you read through those, it's David is calling on God to bring God's judgment, right? And, and one of those things we have to think through and be careful of is when we're doing that, are we, are we wanting, you know, if someone has wronged us, are we wanting them to be punished so that we feel better about it? And that's a wrong attitude. We, we want God to work in their lives to bring them to God. So if they're not saved, we want them to be saved. If they are saved, we want them to recognize their sin and repent of that and return back to God. But we have to let God take care of that. And so that's just one of those things when I, when I was looking through some of this that we really want to be careful with is, is what's our motive and what's, what's our reasoning for doing that? And are we doing it just so that we feel better that this person did this to us and so we want them to, we want them to have suffering and pain for that? You know, we're, we're not called to do that, right? What does is, what is the New Testament tell us we're supposed to do for our enemies? We're supposed to pray for our enemies. 
right? And, and as we pray for them, one thing we should pray for them is, is for salvation, that if they are not saved, that they would come to know who God is. And if they are saved, that they would come to recognize and understand that they've sinned against God, right? Because when we sin, really, who do we sin against? We sin against God. God is the one who has set forth his expectations and his rules for us. Sin is disobedience to God. Now, when someone sins, there are earthly consequences, right? I mean, we talked about the car wreck. There are many things that happen in your life because of sin. Some of that is self-inflicted, right? We all make bad decisions and do things we shouldn't, and we suffer consequences. Many times we suffer consequences because someone else has sinned, and that has an impact on our life because of our relationship with them, and, and there are consequences to that. But we have to trust in God and and believe that he will take care of that, that God will, in his own way, in his own timing, and it's very hard to wait for that. Some people wait their whole lives to see something get fixed that was wrong, and it doesn't. But eventually, in the end, everyone is judged, right? Everything comes to light, and, and it may be at the final judgment time, but that's part of us as Christians, and having faith and, and being submissive to God and what he's called us to do is, is to honor him by doing that. So if we continue on here in Psalm 96, I'm going to read the next three verses. Oh, you know what? I didn't, I didn't finish verse 10. So I'll pick up in verse 10. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Indeed, the world is firmly established. It will not be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all it contains. Let the field exult and all that is in it. Then all the trees of the forest will sing for joy. Before the Lord, for he is coming, for he is coming to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. And so here again, it's, it's talking about, you know, it does talk about judgment. But not only as we as God's created people, created in his image, are supposed to worship and rejoice and, and give him honor and glory. What does this say about all of creation? It actually talks about all of creation is going to honor and, and glorify God, right? It says, let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all it contains. Let the field exult and all that is in it. Then all the trees of the forest will sing for joy. And I think this, this happens really when, you know, Christ's second coming happens and final judgment and those kind of things. And we talked about in Revelation how... There will be a new earth, right? Because this earth was created and meant to be perfect. And there was the Garden of Eden that was perfect. And God walked with Adam and Eve. But then sin entered the world and it became not perfect. And it became a place where God couldn't dwell. But in the end, through God's plan and through the work of his son, Jesus Christ, who will return to judge the quick and the dead and will have the new earth, all of those things happen. But it's, it's interesting to me to think about we as created beings are supposed to be worshiping God, but creation itself all knows that things are not right. It's not what it should be. And so if we look at that, let's, let's look at uh, Romans chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 18 to 21. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood 
through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. And so here it's talking about, and something um, I want to discuss now is, is the thought of revelation. So what, when, someone's, when, when someone talks about revelation to you, what do you think that means? Open your eyes is good, right? So revelation comes from the word reveal, which means I'm going to show you something that you didn't know, right? You're telling someone something. If you reveal something to someone, you're telling them something they didn't know. And so when we, when we study the Bible, there's two different kinds of revelation. And what we just read in Romans 1 and 18, and, and especially in verse 20, is what's known as general revelation. And general revelation refers to how God makes himself known to all creatures in creation and history. So general revelation, just by God creating the earth and God's presence here, everyone should know that there is a creator God, that there is an all-powerful being who is in charge, who created things and set things up the way that they are, right? And, and because of that, you know, it says right here in verse 20, you know, that, so they are without excuse. And so even though, you know, it's, we're called to have missionaries and we're called to have the gospel of Jesus Christ spread to the ends of the earth, every, every human being, every creation of God knows there is a God inherently because of this general revelation. The second kind of revelation there is is what's called special revelation. And this refers to how God has made himself known specifically to his people through his word, namely in scripture and in the person of Christ. And so that's where we get into spreading the good news of Jesus Christ, right? Because of God's creation and, and what that is and how God set up the world and the heavens as we know it, it should be evident to us that there is a God, that there is a creator. Has anybody here ever known someone who prays to the universe? I know them. They're not saved. They, they know, and this is why I think as, as created, every single one of us are created, in, every, every single human being is created in God's image, right? And so if you think about that, do you think that someone, even though they're not a believer, has no idea who God is? We're created in his image, right? And we talked about we're created in the image of God, the whole image of God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. I, I think people know, and, and the Bible tells us through general revelation, people know that there is a God. Now, whether or not they want to acknowledge that there is a God, right? I mean, if you're praying to the universe, you're, you're in, in essence, what has that person put their faith in? The universe, right? But in the end... What, what is the universe to that person? It's their God, which is, okay, and the universe is a created thing, right? And when we, when, when we worship created things, what do we call that? Idolatry, right? So people, whether they believe it or not, and, and it's because of we are created in God's image, right? We are created to be relational. And part of that relationship we need is the relationship with God, is that they're trying to fill that relational need by worshiping something. And so they're going to worship the universe or they're going to put their full faith in crystals that these crystals have some kind of energy that's going to heal. I mean, these are all things that people mistakenly do, right? So 
they're seeking, they're searching because they know there's something out there that's more powerful than them that can help them do what they want. They just don't understand it yet. They, they see it in the general revelation, but the problem is they either haven't heard special revelation or they're ignoring the special revelation of God's word, right? So they're, they're, you know, that's really what the Bible is. That's who the prophets were, special revelation, which is giving us specific knowledge of who God is and, and, and who we are as sinners and what we need to do to be saved. Right, and that's, you know, and when you think through as someone says, well, you know, God's a loving God, so why would a loving God send anyone to hell? Well, God is a loving God, but, you know, and what, what Guyane's talking about is God's attributes. So if we think about God's attributes, what are, what are some of God's attributes? D- divine wrath, right? God, God has a righteous anger, right? But God is um, all-knowing, yes, one of... Right, and God is the creator, but is God just? Yes, God's justice is perfect, right? And we, when we think about justice, what goes hand in hand with, with justice? And, and God has a plan, right? But, but God has specific rules he set up. And, and when we think about justice and, and application of the law, God has a law, right? God made the law. Have, have any of us in here been able to keep the law? No, because the law says if you are perfect and without sin, you can be in God's presence, right? But because we are humans, we're born inherently sinful. None of us on our own can keep the law. And, and so if we want to be saved, and the only way we can save is to keep the law perfectly, and we couldn't keep the law perfectly, then God is a just God, right? And so there is punishment that's called for. So how do we escape the punishment of our sin that we can't avoid? The work of Jesus Christ on the cross. So God is merciful and he is a loving God because he provided us a way out. He provided his son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross. Christ's blood washes your sin away. The only way we can be in God's presence, the only way we can have righteousness ascribed to us is through the work of Christ. Just in looking through this and and thinking through this, um, you know, and that, that we're all created in God's image and we were created for a purpose. And we talk a lot about salvation and, and, and the gospel message. Why really, you know, in, in our, if our chief purpose is to honor and glorify God, why do we really want people to be saved? Why, why, why do you evangelize? Why do you share the good news of, of Jesus Christ? So they don't perish, right? And so... Can someone who's not saved really honor and worship and glorify God in a right way? And so if, if our purpose as created beings is to honor and glorify God, and the only way we can do that is as a saved individual who can be in the presence of God, who has that relationship, who's indwelt with the Holy Spirit, it does save them from eternal wrath. But the whole, and, and I, I thought about this a lot as I worked through this lesson this week, Right, because I, you know, part of why I do what I do, I'm an elder in the church, is I try to live my life in a way that honors and glorifies God. I try to represent God well. I try to help those who don't understand and don't have a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ to get there to understand why they need to be a sinner. But if our purpose is so they don't die, uh, you know, a, a, if, if they're not eternally dead, if our purpose is to make them eternally alive, that's not really the full picture. 
right? So they won't die, but we don't want to just save them, right? Think, think about this. What if, what if you're, you're in a bank and a bank robber comes in and he's going to rob the bank and he falls over from a heart attack and you know CPR. And you go over there and you save him and he's saved, right? But he goes right back to robbing the bank. It's not good to, right? So when we're saving people, we're bringing people to Christ so that they can do what they're supposed to do, which is to honor and glorify God. So, so connect all the dots, complete the whole picture, is we, save, we want people to be saved, not just so they don't die forever, so that they are spiritually alive, but so that they can honor and glorify God and, and to make disciples. Pastor Craig. Right. And, and so what, what Pastor Craig is talking about is that you know, as we get saved, you know, and God's plan is fulfilled and we are in heaven with him, we will be worshiping him nonstop. And that's what we are created for. And he is the one who, who is worthy of being worshiped. And all the good that we do isn't really for us. It's really, you know, and, and we have to think about that too, right? People on this earth who are not saved have done some really, really good things, but they did it for the wrong reason. Their motive was wrong. Our motive should always be to honor and glorify God. Everything that we do should work towards that objective, right? And so that's just what, you know, really came to mind to me is that we, we work hard to save people, right? But we're not just getting them saved and, and, and forgetting about them. And we as a church family need to think about that, is that we need to support and encourage one another. You know, we're, we're saved, but the, the, the ride isn't over there. That's not where we're, we stop. Because to honor and glorify God, you know, we should come and fellowship. We should worship him. We should study his word. We should sing praises. We should do good works to honor and glorify him, right? We shouldn't do good works so that people say, wow, that Andy, he's a great guy. You know, we should do good works so that people see who God is. And we can, you know, if they're unsaved, we can help them understand why we want to do that. Why are we behaving that way? Why are we acting not as the world acts, but acting in a different way? And we do that because we want to honor and glorify God. And just, you know, hopefully as, as we're studying and, and working through the Bible and listening through that, we, we think through those things that really everything we do has to end up honoring and glorifying God, or we're really not doing it for the right reason.